0: Good morning. Welcome to Sandoval and Boulder United Methodist Parish. I'm Michael Hall, the pastor here today, and I want to welcome you to our service this morning. And I have some exciting news to share with you all. We are planning on having our first in-person live worship service on the first Sunday in July. That will be July 5th. After careful consideration, although it does sound like we could potentially have our first life service next Sunday, there are just some logistical things we need to work through. And we just think it would be nice to be able to begin on the first Sunday of the month. Um, want to mention to all of you that we'll be considering coming so that you aren't worried about it or don't have any... Um, Uh, Broken expectations either, but we will not be celebrating the Eucharist on that first Sunday back. We're going to try to get through the month of July 1st, uh, and we are currently researching options to celebrate communion that are safe and free from possibility of transmission. So we will not be having communion that first Sunday. But if you are looking forward and hoping for a time to come and worship, uh, in person at church here with us at Sandoval. Uh, mark your calendars for July 5th. And as I like to keep my promises, it will be an Easter uh, service. There, there won't be Easter egg hunt or potluck, unfortunately. We, we can't do that right now. But the subject of the message will be Easter. We'll try to maybe blend some Easter music and some patriotic music because it's also July 4th weekend And in my opinion, what better way to celebrate our freedom than to celebrate again the resurrection of Jesus. So that is our plan coming up. Mark your calendars, July 5th. There will be a 50-person limit in the sanctuary. And that's one of the things that we're looking into and part of the logistics that we're working on is possibly setting up a remote viewing site in our fellowship hall. We're working on that. We, We don't have that all hammered out yet. Uh, my anticipation is that we probably won't hit 50 right away, but uh, I be, we want to be prepared for the event that we get a few more than 50 people uh, come, because we don't want to have to turn anyone away if we don't have to. So but that's some good news, things that we can look forward to after such a long, long stretch. We are finally starting to see the possibility of having worship in church beginning July 5th. Let's open with a word of prayer today. Gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, as we come here today and giving you thanks and praise, we we just ask that you be with us on this day. Lord, on this Father's Day Sunday, we lift up to you all of those who have been fathers to us. We pray for our fathers that are with us. We pray for those who are past. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for you, our Father in heaven, who created all things through your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we just praise you for the creative, loving God that you are, that you came in the person of your son, Jesus, to love us, to die for us and to rise again as only a father can love his children. And we just ask that you be with us in our worship today. We give you all the praise in Jesus name. Amen.
1: Happy Father's Day. I'm so glad.
0: we come into our prayer time today we need to be in prayer for those who are working on planning on opening things up this is a time where not just churches but business businesses and other facilities are working on figuring out how to open safely and we are excited and thankful For this time, and it's also a time with some nervousness because we want to make sure everything is done so safely. So, be praying for those who are working on planning to open things back up as we progress through uh, through this uh, this process. Uh, Be praying for our leaders in government and both in our state and our nation. Just with there's so many things going on in our country right now, and as we come up close to this Fourth of July holiday. Uh, We just need to be praying for peace and for people to come together in this country to love each other, to work together as as we were meant to be. Uh, And also be praying for uh, all of the fathers out there on this Father's Day weekend and be praying for those who are missing their fathers. Uh, A little bit of good news that we saw, Esther and I, in this past uh, week or two is that two of Esther's brothers who are in the military just recently got home and they both have kids and they've been away from them for, oh, well over six months, I think closer to nine months. And that much time that they've, they've missed with their kids and it's just, we're glad that they're able to be home and be with their, their families. Uh, and uh, other than that, we need to be praying for those who have medical conditions that aren't able to get out even as things are opening uh, that uh, God will touch them and bring them healing. Let us prepare our hearts for a prayer time today. Most gracious, holy, and loving God, Lord, we, on this Father's Day Sunday, we lift up your name in praise as our Father in heaven who loves us so much. We give you thanks, those of us who have our fathers with us today. And Lord, we lift up to you those who are missing their fathers. Lord, we give you thanks for the summertime as as we see life grow around us. We give you thanks for time spent with friends and family, and we thank you as you have been with us through these times. We know that you never promised that things would be easy for us. In fact, your son Jesus said in this world we would have trouble, but to take heart and know that you have already conquered the world. And so we give you thanks as we go through this life to know that you are with us. Father God, we lift up to you those who are sick, those who are in need of healing. We give you praise for the evidence of your healing hand at work in the lives of those that we love. And we pray that you would be with those who are in need of healing. Father God, our nation needs healing. We need to feel the healing of your peace. There is so much hurt and so much pain that has been seen in these past weeks. We just pray that you would be with all of those who are affected. Not one side or the other, but all people. Gracious Father, we pray for our first responders, our doctors and our nurses who have worked so hard to keep people safe and to bring healing, your healing to people. Lord, we pray for our military and our law enforcement, our peacekeepers and our peacemakers. We pray for all who serve, but especially the friends and family of these churches. We lift them up to you. Father, we pray for our leaders in government, both in our state, nation, and throughout all the world as they deal with the many many difficulties in our world today we pray that you would give them your wisdom that through them we might see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven but most of all lord we pray for those that do not know you we pray that you would use us gracious god as your ministers to share your love with them that all might come to know the name of jesus and be saved Father, God, all of these joys and concerns we bring to you today, laying them down at your feet in the name of your son, Jesus, knowing you hear our every prayer and in the power of your most Holy Spirit, we continue to pray to you today the prayer that your son, Jesus, the risen Lord of the church, taught us to pray so long ago. Our Father, who are in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We begin a new series this week. And we won't finish the series uh, before our first Sunday in church. And so there will be a little interruption blip in the series. But I just desperately want to keep that promise to give an Easter service in person uh, on that first Sunday back. But we begin a series of sermons on... Jesus' message to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And so we will begin with the church in Ephesus today, but we're actually going to back up just a little bit uh, before we get into Jesus' dictated letter to the Ephesians. Uh, Those of you who are familiar with the book of Revelation know that it is a vision of Jesus that is essentially transcribed down by John of Patmos. And there's debate as to who John of Patmos is. The traditional uh, understanding is that it is the Apostle John. And that is a view that I, I personally hold myself, but there is some debate as to uh, who this John is. So he's oftentimes referred to as merely John of Patmos. And so we will begin in Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, and we will be reading through chapter 2, verse 7. It says, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's Day, and I was worshiping in the Spirit. Suddenly I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast. It said, Write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. When I turned to see who was speaking to me, I saw seven golden lampstands. And standing in the middle of the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. He was wearing a long robe with a gold sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace. And his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. He held seven stars in his right hand and a sharp two edged sword came from his mouth and his face was like the sun in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead, but he laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. Write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening and the things that will happen. This is the meaning of the mystery of the seven stars you see in my right hand and the seven gold lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Ephesus. This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I have seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You have examined the claims of those who say they are prophets, but are not. I'm sorry, that are apostles, but are not. You have discovered they are liars, You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen, turn back to me, and do the works you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans, just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. few weeks ago, I brought up the notion that we are living in a time of the church being in exile. And though we are looking forward to, in a couple weeks, planning on having in-person worship again, what I can say is it will not be the same. It is going to be different. And so I think that sensation of being in exile will remain, even for those who are able to come into church. We will keep the Facebook Live going because we want to include everybody including those that can't come. So we still are in this time of a perceived exile. We're still living in a time of tension, and many will likely not come back to worship in the church until we get an all-clear from this thing first. Those of you who are members of the church and those of you who have been able to pick up my most recent newsletter for the month of June and if you haven't, I'm going to try to put up the text of that on Facebook this week. But I recently did a newsletter for the church for the first time in quite a while. And those of you that, uh, as I said, would like to read it should see it posted on our Facebook page this week. But in it, I described the purpose of wilderness wandering in the Bible. There is a purpose to this. They tend to be times of repentance... Purification and getting closer to God. As we are now in the season of Pentecost, the celebration of the era of the church in which we still are, I felt it would be worthwhile to look at Jesus' message to the church in Revelation to help us ponder where we as the church, and when I say the church, I mean Big C, the church universal, not just our church, not just the United Methodist Church but to use an old term, Christendom, where we need to repent, purify ourselves, and how we can get closer to Jesus in these strange times. One of the things that, probably the thing that Revelation is the most famous for, and for some people it's a turnoff, for some people it scares them, for me it's one of the reasons why Revelation is actually one of my favorite books. And the Bible to read, is it is full of vivid imagery. If you want to try to find another book in the Bible that it is a close cousin to, I would recommend in the Old Testament the book of Daniel. Because as we get into here, what's happening is John is going to be borrowing very liberally, in fact, from imagery and words from the book of the prophet Daniel... That he will use in his message to the church. Because the book of Daniel was a message written to the people of God in exile. To the people of God who were wondering what in the world is going on here. Experiencing persecution and trouble. The likes of which they had never seen. And Revelation is the same likewise. It is a message written to the church in a time of great uncertainty, persecution, difficulty. And distress. and so one of the first things that we see here, as John begins his letter, is he says that he saw one like the Son of Man. And that is a direct hyperlink, those of you who understand internet lingo, it's a direct hyperlink back to the book of Daniel. And it's also a hyperlink back to the words of Jesus, because the title that Jesus used for himself, more than anything else that we find in scripture is son of man so john says one that looked like the son of man in the book of daniel the son of man is the human one who ascends into heaven to sit essentially in a seat next to and with the ancient of days who is The Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, God, Yahweh. And for a human one to sit beside God meant that they were co-equal with God. And this helps us with our understanding of who Jesus was. That yes, he was fully human, but he was also fully God. This is why the Son is co-equal to the Father. And when we see the Son, we see the Father. And I think there is an interesting theological point that John is making here, too, because he continues with his Daniel imagery, because the way he describes the son of man is very similar to the way that the ancient of days is described in Daniel. In other words, John has now taken the ancient of days and the son of man, and they are one person. This, again, helps us with our understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus, the human one, is God, the ancient of days. It also says that this Jesus, he says that he, Jesus describes himself as the one who died and who now lives. And he is both, as I said, son of man, the human one in Daniel that is made to sit at the right hand of God and ancient of days, God himself. And we'll get a little more into that later. Then we also have this imagery of seven stars and seven lampstands. It's explained that the seven stars that Jesus ascended, ascendant is holding in his hand represent the angels of the churches that are about to be addressed. Now, ancient Near Eastern people believed that stars weren't just floating balls of hot gas in space, but they believed that they had actual sentience, that they were the physical embodiment essentially of invisible spiritual forces. And this helps explain the interest in astrology that many ancient peoples had, including the Babylonians. And so what we're getting this picture of here is heavenly beings, heavenly bodies. But also an angel is a messenger. Angels more often than not in scripture are depicted more like human beings going to bring a message to God's people. The angel Gabriel is a messenger. We will see elsewhere in Revelation there are messengers that are sent to John. There are messengers in the book of Daniel. Oftentimes what we think of as winged angels refer more to uh, other spiritual beings, seraphim and cherubim, which we won't get into here today, but that is an interesting subtopic. So the seven stars represent seven messengers to the churches. And the seven lampstands are the light of the church. I think it's appropriate that churches are represented by lampstands. This gets at the purpose of the church. The church is to be the light of the world pointing to Christ. If the church does not act as a lighthouse pointing to Jesus... It ceases to be a lighthouse. Light illuminates and makes things visible. We, the church, are meant to be light bearers. So based on all of this, I believe the seven stars represent the invisible angelic protectors of the churches as well as messengers to the church. And then the lampstands represent these seven historical churches. But they are also messages that can apply to the church today. Each church that we see over these coming weeks is going to be facing a particular issue. And here is the issue that was being faced in Ephesus. They were doing good works. They did not tolerate evil. And they were very discerning of the truth. Jesus is essentially saying you've got the head stuff right and you've got the going and doing stuff right. They detest the heresy of the Nicolaitans. We'll get into who the Nicolaitans uh, were in more detail in coming weeks. But I think this is going back to Jesus being both God and man. See, what we do with our body matters. The Nicolaitans had the belief that what we did with our body didn't matter. And so, therefore, if that's the case, then Jesus being fully human would not matter Too much to them. Their belief was do whatever you want with yourself. The only thing that mattered was the spirit. But then what we find the problem in Ephesus is. Is that they have lost their love. So this is a church that has things right in their head. They're doing things. They're doing good things. They're doing good work. But they don't have it right in in here. And I'm afraid that for many of us, doing church became nothing more than following a certain ideology and taking part in activities deemed to be beneficial to society and rejecting what we have discerned to be bad. And all of those are good things, but they are not what ultimately constitutes doing church. Frankly, there are many fraternal organizations and governmental institutions that do many of these things. And again, I'm not slamming being a do-gooder or striving to try to have the proper ideology or, in the church's case, theology. If anything, I myself fall into the category of one who can spend way too much time trying to be theologically correct instead of merely living the gospel. But Jesus' accusation does not pull punches. To Ephesus, he says, you have lost your first love. He's saying, you don't love me or each other the way that you used to. In other words, Jesus is saying, all of these other things are good, but what matters most is that you love properly. The Apostle Paul tells us in his letters to the church at Corinth that we can do all kinds of great things and be very right-headed. But if we don't do them in love, then they mean absolutely nothing. And that's really heavy. So many of us just get to going through the motions, I'm afraid. And Jesus here is calling us out when we get to that point. When we get to that point where all we are doing is saying, yeah, I went to church yeah, I read my Bible. Yeah, I helped the poor. He's saying, but do you, did you love me in it? And did you love your neighbors when you did it? Jesus' plea is for people to return to the love that they had in the beginning. Or the warning is that their lampstand will be removed. And this is important. I had said earlier that all of the do-gooding and right belief in the world does not make the church the church. That there are many other organizations out there that do those sorts of things. In essence, Jesus, I think, is telling us that when we leave love out of the mix, we cease to be the church, regardless of what we do. Regardless of all the good that we might be doing, Or how right our ideology and theology might be. If we don't have love in it, then we aren't being the church. As we move through this wilderness time, I think we as the church need to think long and hard about the ways that we have forgotten our first love. I think this is part of the call to repentance that we have had Throughout this time is where have we forgotten our first love? Remember when you first got to know Jesus. Remember how excited you were. And the love that you felt for him and for everyone else for that matter. It's easy for us to get jaded in this world. Especially now. With all of the fear and the heartache that seems to be surrounding us. But the church has been called to be a light. In the world, a light to the world, and the only way we will be able to truly make an impact on the world is to reveal the love of Jesus to everyone that we know. When we do that, when we live as an authentic church that combines right action with right understanding and belief, with right heartedness and love, then there is nothing that can stop us. We will be victorious in our mission as the church when we follow Jesus in love. And the promised reward that Jesus promises to those who remember love in the midst of right belief and right action. The promised reward cannot be beat. And it is a promise for all who follow Jesus. To eat from the tree of life. In other words, the tree of life that was in the Garden of Eden that we were banned from because of sin. In other words, the curse will be removed for all time. We will be returning back to the garden, but we'll be going forward into a garden city, the city of God that he is making for us. As we get closer to opening back up, when we start to gather again in the church, let's not just go back to how things were. Let's remember our first love, our love for God and for all who bear his image, so that when we resume our activities, we won't just be going through the motions, but we will be carrying the light of hope into a world that needs to see the light of Jesus like never before. Amen. Gracious and loving God, as we depart here today, again, we thank you for being our loving Father in heaven. Go with us and be with us and bless us as we prepare to open, as we prepare to move into the next phase. We pray that you would be with us and help us to not forget the lessons that we have learned in these days. Help us to follow you anew. Help us to be drawn even closer to you than ever before. We praise you in all these things and ask that you go and be with us till we meet here again. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen, and go in peace.